greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campia Show, Monday through Friday, we take the second half of the show to take your live comments and questions that you, get, that you guys send in via the tip link. However, we normally don't have enough time to get through all the questions that get sent in, but I want to make sure if you sent in those questions and tip to support the show that you don't have to wait too long to get those questions answered. So we gather them up and we address them here on companion videos and that's what we're doing today and just so you know this uh, show is being recorded earlier on sunday morning and if you're watching this before 4 p.m pacific standard time on the youtube channel on sunday don't forget to come and join us a little bit later because a little bit later today we are going to be doing our open spoiler discussion of Eternals. That video, that event is now posted on the YouTube channel. You can go and click on it, but it starts at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Sunday. For some of you, that's you're watching this video after that's the way it happened, but you can still go back and watch it. It's still there on the YouTube channel, so why don't you go on over and check that out, and I hope to see you guys there. Okay, guys. With that down, let's not waste any time and get caught up on your questions. We're going to get things started off here with Sam Fisher, who writes... I saw Dune last Saturday, and I loved it. The visual effects, the acting, Zimmer's score. I thought Momoa stole the show as Duncan Idaho, uh, but explain something to me. Why does he have three styles of facial hair in this movie? Well, that's a good question, but I guess when you think about it, when we first meet Duncan, he's still on the Atreides homeworld. When we next see Duncan, he has been acclimated to living on Arrakis and living amongst the Fremen. And then when we later see Duncan, he's now back, you know, with the home base of House Atreides and he's re-trimmed up again. I, I mean, that would be my best guess. But other than that, I got to admit, I didn't even really notice, Sam. All right, next up. Sam Fisher also writes, one of the many things I collect are T-shirts. You and Robert Meyer Burnett both. Uh, I like like, I have a t-shirt that says, in gold, Star Wars font, may the F equals MA, that's force equals mass times acceleration, uh, be with you. I also have a shirt that I'm wearing to Eternals this weekend with a Jack Kirby head with a cigar and crown drawn in his style. That would be a pretty cool shirt to see. That is a shirt that I think Robert Meyer Burnett would absolutely wear. I hope you had a good time watching Eternals, Sam. All right, next up, Jacob K. writes, Hey, John. I found that my enthusiasm towards the MCU has dwindled. I attribute it to the Disney Plus shows, which now tie into the overall story. I personally don't have time to watch a 20-hour series. Well, they're not 20 hours. They're more like six hours. But at any rate, uh, do not I want to buy, not, not do I, let me try this again. I personally don't have time to watch a 20-hour series. Not do I want to buy Disney Plus. I feel like I'm missing out. Thoughts? Um, I would say this. The, I've mentioned this before. The reason the MCU is not successful, but the reason the MCU is as successful as it is, is because Kevin Feige intentionally designs all the properties within the MCU to be boarding points. What I mean by that is you go to any movie in the MCU and that can be your first experience with the MCU. Yes, everything in the MCU builds upon each other, but Kevin Feige makes sure that if you walk into an MCU movie and never seen any other MCU thing before, you're not going to feel lost. And that's important because as the buzz has built for the MCU and as the momentum is built for the MCU, you haven't had to tell potential new new fans, oh, you got to go back five years and start watching from there and you got to watch all these 80 hours of content and then you can watch this new thing. That's not the way Kevin Feige's designed it. He's designed it so you can just get on board and start watching it. And yeah, some things you'll miss the extra importance of because you don't know the old material. But I, I remember Aaron Cummings walked in and watched, you know, an MC movie was one of the first she had watched in a while and didn't feel lost at all. Totally felt up to speed. And I would say this, you don't have to watch the Disney plus MCU stuff to be able to continue to watch the movie stuff. There might be a few points that might go over your head a little bit, but overall, it's not going to affect your overall experience. At least that's the way Kevin Feige's always designed everything up till now. And uh, that would be my encouragement to you, Jacob. All right, thanks for sharing your thoughts on that, dude. All right, next up. Brazilian Dude writes, one of three. 
If Toby and Andrew Garfield are in No Way Home, which we have no evidence to prove that they are, but I, I'm thinking they will be at any rate, I, for one, will find it hilarious if they de-age them to suggest that they were pulled from their universes at the exact moment that we last saw them, like Alfred Molina. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Alfred Molina already said that his Doc Ock is being pulled from Spider-Man 2 right at that last moment that he's in the movie here, and they are digitally de-aging him. Uh, if we... Th- if we thought Dear Evan Hansen was bad, imagine having to buy that Toby is only like four years older than Holland. He had just finished college in Spider-Man 3, and that both Andrew and Holland are the same age. Both are graduating from high school. Uh, joking aside, I trust the folks at Marvel completely and can't wait for the movie. Even if Toby and Andrew aren't in it, I was completely sold the moment I learned that Molina was back as Doc Ock. Yeah, I mean, if they are, and that's one of the big topics of conversation surrounding the whole Spider-Man thing right now is, are Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield going to be in it? There's no legitimate proof that they will be. I personally think they will, but I'm not going to be surprised if they don't. Although I, I think they will be in it at any rate. But if they are in it, what are they going to do? Are they going to be older, more experienced Spider-Men? Are they going to be pulled right from that time like Doc Ock was? And if so, are they just going to digitally de-age them? And if they do, will they do good digital de-aging? like they did with, say, Michael Douglas in Ant-Man, in the opening scene of Ant-Man when it was set like 20 years earlier? Or will it be not so good digital work, like the CGI Luke at the end of Mandalorian Season 2, or like Evan Hansen? So, I don't know. It will be interesting to see how they approach that, though, Brazilian dude. Let's see how it works. First of all, let's see if they're even in it. And then if they are, what kind of approach are they going to take? That's an interesting question. Hey, guys, before we continue on with this episode of the podcast, I want to thank the sponsor of this episode of the podcast, which is NordVPN. Now, NordVPN is the one virtual private network that I like to use, and it does three main things for you. Number one. It gives you access to globally restricted content. You can make the internet think that you're actually in Europe or that you're actually in Asia or you're right where you are. So let's say you're traveling overseas, but there's a piece of content you want to watch that's only available to people in the U.S. Well, guess what? NordVPN can make it think that you're in the U.S. The second thing it does is it protects your data. Listen, now that we're kind of in pandemic recovery mode, we're back out in the coffee shops, we're back on airplanes, but the networks available there aren't always secure. Secure. Protect your data with NordVPN. And the third and to me most important thing that it does for me is it protects my privacy. Whether you're at home or outside of the home, I don't want to be tracked by a lot of big companies. NordVPN protects your privacy. So go and download NordVPN. It's super easy to install and use. And it's Cyber Month deal, guys. Go to NordVPN.com slash Campia or just use the code Campia, that's C-A-M-P-E-A, to get up to 73% off your NordVPN plan plus a bonus gift. Be quick because this offer is for a limited time and only and all of us here at the John Campion Show want to thank NordVPN for sponsoring this episode. And now let's get back to the podcast. Sam Sprill writes, Greetings, John. Uh, That was actually my first time sending in a super chat, which he sent in the other day. You recognize my name because I send main topics almost daily since 2019. Anyway, I highly recommend Made on Netflix. To me, it's definitely the best series of the year so far. Here's the thing. A lot of times people bring up shows that I should watch on Netflix, and I've never heard of them because Netflix does a terrible job of promoting their own material. I have come across Made several times, several times that I've loaded up Netflix. One of the recommendations is made. I know nothing about it, but I've at least heard of it and I've at least seen it on my screen and I know that it's there, which is not always the case with Netflix, you know, original material, but I, apparently it's been on their top 10. I've seen a lot of people are watching it. I know nothing about it, Sam. So I'll tell you what, this is one I might have to check out. So thank you for adding your name to the growing list of recommendations for it. All right, next up. Sir Ivan Bennett writes, Hey, John and company. Hope you're well. I am well. Thank you, Sam. Or uh, Sir Ivan. You always say Spider-Man has farred better under Sony's direction. Yes, they have. Uh, But I feel outside of Spider-Man 1 and 2, the quality severely dripped or dipped. Uh, Marvel actually made him relevant and popular again and made his first billion dollar movie. Yeah, but you could you could make the argument that they were able to do that because they were building on the popularity of Spider-Man on the big screen already. I mean, listen, I don't even think Spider-Man 1 is the best or second best Spider-Man movie. 
And I think the first Amazing Spider-Man, the first Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movie, is woefully underrated. I think it's a very good movie. But, listen, the fact of the matter is, in my opinion, that Sony has made, at minimum two, maybe three, better Spider-Man movies than Marvel ever has. Spider-Man 2 was for a long time considered maybe the best comic book movie ever made. I mean, it's no longer considered that, but there was a period of time where it was kind of considered that. And it's still in most comic book movie fans' top 10 greatest comic book movies ever. And then into the Spider-Verse, it was just, it wasn't just my favorite animated film of the year. It was the best comic book movie of 2018. And yes, that was the same year that Black Panther and Infinity War came out. I think Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse. And that's a movie that for an entire year before I came out, I crapped all over. This movie does a dumb idea. Nobody wants to see a Miles Morales. Oh, look at that trailer. That animation style looks dumb. Oh, this isn't going to do any good. That was me. That, that, that was all junk. Did you not remember? That's exactly how I sounded in 2018. But that was me. And then I saw it. And oh my God, like it was one of the most delightful movie going experiences I've had in years. It was so good. I actually thought it was the third best movie overall period of 2018. I legitimately thought it should have been nominated for best picture. I mean, it won the Academy Award for best animated feature, but it should have been nominated for best picture. The only two movies that I thought um, that were better than it in 2018 were A Quiet Place and Black Klansman. Those are the only ones that I thought were better. Other than that, I thought it was the third best movie of the year. At any rate, at minimum, two Sony Spider-Man movies are better than anything Marvel's ever made Spider-Man-wise. Maybe three if you want to count Spider-Man 1. Like, I know some people would put the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie over Homecoming or Far From Home. But look, the fact that... You know, look, obviously, Spider-Man 3 was a drop. Obviously, The Amazing Spider-Man 2 was a drop. But... Sony has made better Spider-Man movies than Marvel has. Sorry, but that's what it is. That's what it is. I don't say that to imply that Marvel's not done a good job. They've done a great job. Under Kevin Feige and director John Watts, they made two, and I'm anticipating the third, but already two delightful Spider-Man movies that I really enjoy, Homecoming and Far From Home. They're wonderful. What I am saying, though, is that this short-sighted doom and gloom, oh, Spider-Man will suck if it goes back to Sony. Uh, I'm just pointing out that that's bullshit. They've made better Spider-Man movies. They've also made some bad ones. Absolutely they have. Don't deny that. But this bullshit narrative that, oh, my gosh, if Spider-Man goes back to Sony, all is lost. Well, wow, short, short-term memory, man. Short-term memory. Now, look, No Way Home might suck. If Spider-Man goes back to Sony, the next Spider-Man movie they make might suck. But I think there's really good reason to believe and track record to believe that No Way Home is going to be pretty damn good and that if Sony makes the next Spider-Man movie coming off Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, I think there's a good track record to show that it could be pretty good. It, they could suck, could be good, we'll see. I just reject this short-sighted notion that, oh, Spider-Man's ruined if it goes back to Sony. No, no. They've made better Spider-Man movies than Marvel has. They've also made worse ones. But again, I just reject the notion that it's just automatically, it's a done deal. Spider-Man sucks if he goes back to Sony. Again, I, I think that's incredibly short-sighted. But that's just me. Again, and if he stays at Marvel, I have all the confidence in the world that Marvel will continue to do a good job as well. I ain't saying he has to go back to Sony. Oh, Spider-Man will suck unless he goes back to Sony. No, 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 I ain't saying that at all. He's he's in very good hands if he stays at Marvel. I think he's also in very good hands if he goes back to Sony. I think there's some very exciting possibilities if he does go back to Sony. But we'll, we'll wait and see. Either way, I think it'll be fine. I don't think the world's going to end under either circumstances, so I think we're all going to be fine, man. All right, thanks for sharing your thoughts, sir. I've been, I appreciate that. Ordinary human bartender. Ah, uh, a little, what was, what's the first name? Was it Frankie Daytona? I can't remember the first thing. Something Daytona. Human bartender. Of course, that's from What We Do in the Shadows, which I love that episode. Um, hi, John. 
I, unfortunately, watched Thunder Force. Sorry to hear that, man. I could see it winning Bad Comedy of the Year, but Best Comedy at the People's Choice? Is this at the home viewing norm due to Netflix's garbage films? Are people okay with this level of quality? Bring on the filthy. Yeah, look, I mean, we were joking about this the other day, that Thunder Force, one of the worst movies I've seen in years. I would say it's a top five worst movie I've seen in the last five years. It's not like in the unholy trinity of all-time worst movies, but I, I think very easily it's in the top five worst films of the last five years. It's a horrible movie. And I say that as somebody who really likes Melissa McCarthy a lot. And that movie's horrible. And it, of course, was nominated for Best Comedy of the Year at the People's Choice Awards, which just highlights to me why I reject all quote-unquote award shows that are voted on by the audience and that are voted on by the fans. I don't give any credibility to an award that is voted on by people who on average see six to eight movies a year. Now, some people will argue no award should have credibility. Well, no, I'm sorry. When you're the Academy Awards and you're a voting base of 7,000 plus actual film professionals, actual actors and directors and writers and cinematographers and and producers, and executives, and journalists, and makeup people, and musicians, and on, and on, and on, and on. When you have a voting base of 7,000 people who actually make movies, voting on what they thought were the best movies of the year, I know you think you sound cool when you go, I don't think any award show has any valid, valid, who cares about award show? I know you think you look cool when you say that. You don't. You don't. I mean, it's fine if you have that opinion. You don't have to think that award shows are the be-all and end-all of everything. Not at all. But I see so many people who think it makes them look cool online. They're going, oh, I don't think anybody should pay attention to the Academy Awards. They're meaningless. They think they look cool. You don't. You're talking about a voting, and it's still all subjective, but you're talking about a voting base of 7,000 plus people who actually make movies. The ones who actually make the movies. And yeah, forgive me, but I give that a lot of weight. Unlike the People's Choice Award or the MTV Movie Awards, where on average, you know, the average person who casts a vote has seen six to eight movies that year. It just doesn't mean anything to me. And that's why something like Thunder Force can get nominated for a People's Choice Award. But that's just kind of my thing. All right. Anyway, next up. Uh, an anonymous viewer writes, Hey, John. I'm a middle-aged woman who enjoys Marvel and DC. I do try to keep in mind when judging a film that what I like is related to my experiences. Spider-Man is a great character, but I don't relate as strongly to the angst of a teenage boy. This is okay. Well, listen, Anonymous, you're absolutely right. Look, I would say two things. Number one, you don't have to be able to relate to a film in order to appreciate it. But there is a magic that happens in movies whether they're drama, period pieces, comic book movies, horror movies, whatever, there's a certain magic that can happen in movies that takes it to another level for you when there's something in it that really touches home for you. Maybe it's a shared experience. Quite often, it's a shared experience. I often talk about uh, going back a, a number of years. I was living in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. I lived there for a number of years. I love Saskatoon. And I was, I had built a really good base of friends and, and people I loved there. And I was considering a career change that was going to take me out of Saskatoon. And I was struggling with what do I give priority to? My circle, the friends I've made here, the support they gave me, the people I love. Or do I pursue career? And there's valid arguments to be made for both. And it was while I was having that struggle that Clerks 2 came out. Wait a minute, John, is that the movie that talks about going ass to mouth and donkey shows? That had special meaning? Yeah, it did, and here's why. Because one of the main characters in the movie was struggling with the same one I was. Go and take a job, but it takes them out of town, but it would mean furthering themselves and giving them a new start and a new career and a job opportunity and blah, blah, blah. But it would mean leaving the people they know and love. And just the fact that you had this movie where one of the main characters was struggling with something I was struggling with at the time has made that movie 
forever very special to me. I love Clerks 2. I love that movie deeply. And I'm quite sure part of it was because I had that level of connection. So yes, you don't have to have any kind of a connection with any theme or character in a movie in order to appreciate it and enjoy it. But there is that magic that happens when you do. Like watching Onward, the animated film where uh, Chris Pratt and Tom Holland were doing the voices of it. You know, it's about these two brothers who are trying to just for one day bring their father back, their father who had died many years earlier, to bring their dad back just for one day. And I'm watching this movie with my wife, Anne, and Anne's dad has just passed away a couple of years ago. And uh, that was a very, very hard time. But we're watching this movie and Anne was just was smiling and crying like the whole movie because it was speaking to an experience that she had just recently gone through herself. The movie was already good. It's a delightful, wonderful, fun little movie. But it then connected with Anne on a certain level that made that movie not just a good, fun, entertainment movie. It made it something very special to her. And that's the magic of the movies. That's the magic part there. So yeah, maybe you won't feel that magic part because you can't relate with the angst of a teenage boy, but you can still appreciate it for what it is. You know what I'm saying? So thanks for sharing your thoughts on that, Anonymous. All right, next up. Uh, Star Bucky Barnes writes, Brad Pitt, George Clooney, and Matthew McConaughey are doing a movie together. Clooney said he'll direct, Pitt says he'll act, and Matthew McConaughey said, I'll write, I'll, uh, I I get it. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. There's a a big movie coming. I'll write, I'll write, I'll write. Get it? One will direct, one will act, one will write, but he says, I'll write, I'll write. You guys know what it is. All right, thanks for sharing that, but I I gave you the, the drum shot sound for that. Okay, Batman vs. Superman Forever writes, Hey, John, love your show. Thank you so much. Have you seen The Jacket with Adrian Brody? I have not. I love him, and it's one of my top five movies of all time. I know you hate fan casting, but I want him to play the Joker in the new Batman franchise. Do you like him? What do you think? I love Adrian Brody. Academy Award winner Adrian Brody gave us one of the most memorable Academy Award moments ever. He's up on stage. I believe his award was being presented by Halle Berry. For Best Actor that year, he won it and then instantly grabbed her and kissed her. It was all pre-planned, but still, it was one of the best Academy Award moments ever. I think Adrian Brody is a great actor. I love him. However, I also have a little bit of a sore spot with Adrian Brody. You see, I am not in the scoop game. I can count on one hand how many times over 13 years of doing this that I've broken a scoop. I think playing the scoop game is a fool's errand and whatever, but so I very, very, very rarely do it. The very first time, this is back when I was still doing the movie blog. The very first time I thought I had a scoop and I had gotten it from a pretty damn reliable source. Now this is way back in the day when everybody thought that Edgar Wright was still going to be directing Ant-Man, that Edgar Wright was going to be making Ant-Man for Marvel. And I got a tip from somebody that I considered a pretty damn reliable source that Adrian Brody was going to be Ant-Man. And that was a big deal. He wasn't that long off of his Academy Award win. I mean, he was, he's to this day a tremendous actor. And I ran with it. Adrian Brody is going to be Ant-Man. And oh, for the first 24 hours, that got traction, man. And that's when I learned how much folly playing the scoop game can be because Edgar Wright then wrote to me and said, uh, yeah, no, <laughs> he's, he's not Ant-Man. Um, that's just pretty much, like I thought my other source was reliable. That's pretty much as reliable as you can get when Edgar Wright tells you no. No, he's he's not Ant-Man. And I felt so stupid, dude. I felt so stupid. There have been twice in my career. There have been three times I've broken scoops that it's absolutely 100% turned out that way. Of course, the most notorious of which was the Ben Affleck was out as Batman thing. A thing that I got told for over a year. Everybody told me, called me a liar and everything. Then it turned out it was right. But at any rate, and a couple others. But there were two times that I totally got embarrassed totally humiliated and embarrassed. That first one was the Adrian Brody one. And then one, not too awful long ago, uh, was with, I think I was still at AMC and 
I had heard from two separate sources, and Harloff had also heard from a source that um, Snoke in The Force Awakens was going to be Darth Plagueis. And we got on one of our shows, and I said, I can tell you that this Snoke guy, it's Darth Plagueis is going to be in this movie. It's Darth Plagueis. That character we see on screen in that trailer, it's Darth Plagueis. And I said it with certainty. I found out very shortly after, like I think within 24 hours, that that was just not true. And I was embarrassed and humiliated. Now, a lot of different sites will run scoops and they're wrong 60% of the time and they just don't care. I mean, oh, whatever, we'll get some right, we'll get some wrong. That I, the notion that I mislead my audience kills me. Because I got on my show and I told them a bit of information that they should be able to rely on. Like, that's different from me making guesses. Oh, I think this movie will make $50 million this week. Oh, I think this guy is going to get cast in that movie. That, making guesses and predictions and things like that, that's a totally different thing. But I told my audience, as a matter of fact, that's going to be Plagueis. I didn't tell them that was my guess. I told them, I have sources, you can rely on this, that's Plagueis. It wasn't a prediction, it wasn't a guess, it wasn't forecasting, it wasn't prognostication, it was me telling my audience, you can take this as fact. I have sources that have affirmed to me, that's Plagueis, that's who it's going to be, and it wasn't. It wasn't. Oh, I was so mad. I was so mad that I had misled my audience. I was so mad that I humiliated myself. Oh my God, was I not happy. And that's why I don't play the tip game, or the... uh the uh, scoop game anymore. Maybe if I was like some other sites and I didn't care if I was wrong because, ah, whatever, the audiences believed me and it would turned out to be incorrect information. I misled my audience. Oh, well, and they just move on. It, it affects me. I care about that shit. And I was embarrassed, humiliated, and that's why there's a lot of times now I get given information and I don't do anything with it. Actually, this year, there have been two specific, I won't share what they were, but there were two specific circumstances where a piece of information got passed on to me and it looked reliable, but I decided not to do it as a story. I'm not going to put it in the title of a, of a video. I'm not going to do any of that. And then because I didn't do anything with it, those sources then went to other outlets and they did run with it and it it was right, but still, I just don't play that game. It's very, very rare I'll play that game now. I mean, every once in a while, I'll mention something in the show, but I won't anymore make a title out of it. Like, I won't make a headline out of it. I won't try to get clicks and views with it. I might mention it in the show, but it'll be buried in the show somewhere, and I won't make the headline. I won't make it the title. I won't make it the thumbnail, anything like that. Sometimes I know something, and I might half mention it, but I won't try to make it a click thing. But... That's just because I got burned, man. I got burned twice. Badly. And uh, I don't like embarrassing myself, dudes. I mean, I embarrass myself enough as it is. I don't want to add more experiences to it. So that's that. All right. But anyway, yeah, I love Adrian Brody. But, it, but, but Adrian Brody also brings up painful memories for me. All right. Next up, we've got Ben Rayner who writes, Hey, John, with all the division Star Wars fandoms has let... Pause. With... Hi, John. With all the divisions, Star Wars fandoms has let's all remember one thing. If there's one thing 100% of fans agree on, yes, even Lucas, it's that the holiday special sucks. It's the one thing Lucas is ashamed of and nobody likes it. Thanks for the show. Oh, it's true. That is one thing that in all the fractured, divided Star Wars fandom everywhere, the one thing that all of them can come together around a fire, hold hands and sing Kumbaya is over the notion that we all agree. That the holiday special sucked. Even George Lucas himself. All right. Remmer Bulldog writes, Hey, John, just saw Eternals, and I really like this movie a lot, a lot. Almost love this movie. This movie had everything I wanted. You're right. All movies are subjective, and I'm definitely going to go see this movie again. I'm glad, and like I said, we're going to be doing our Eternals open spoiler discussion a little bit later today. I hope you guys are able to come and join us for it, and I enjoy it too. It's not my favorite Eternals movie. It's not even my favorite, uh, it's not even my favorite MCU movie of the year. 
It's not in my top 10 MCU movies, although there's a lot of MCU movies not in the top 10 that I still really like. But this is one of those movies, and I do really, really like it. I'm glad you did too, Remmer. All right, David27 writes, Eternals was so good. I really enjoy this movie a lot. I cannot wait to see it again. 8.5 out of 10. Glad you enjoyed it, man, and I hope you have an equally good time when you go back to watch it again, David27. An anonymous viewer writes, you said Netflix does great with doing live-action renditions. No, I did not. That is not what I said. Uh, did you see their certain, uh, their certain of Death Note? Did you see their certain of Death Note? Don't know what that means. Horrible. No, abysmal. Oh, right. Yeah, no, Death Note. Their live-action adaptation of Death Note was bad. But I never said Net- Netflix was great at doing live-action adaptations. What I said was that Netflix is great at doing live-action series. Not good at their movies. They're terrible at making live... They're terrible at their original movies. Terrible. Like one out of every 15 or 20 are any good. Well, John, that's the same ratio as regular... No, 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 it's not. No, it's not. They're definitely bad movies and good movies, but there's a, when you just go to a movie, there's a definitely a much better ratio than, you know, 15 to 1 uh, when you go to the theaters. But no, Netflix original movies are really, really bad with a few exceptions. But their series are great. They are great at their series. So if you're going to quote me, quote me accurately, I did not say Netflix is great at live action renditions. Didn't say that. I said they're great at their series, not so good at their movies. Death Note being a great example. That was not a very good original movie at all. All right, uh, next up. Black Frost writes, after watching your hilarious rant about Nicole Kidman yelling at you, I went to watch Eternals at Cinemaplex where I had to sit through an ad asking me to do my part and get vaccinated. I had to show my vaccine passport to get into the theater. <laughs> That's, that is exactly the same thing. Like I may, I put up this video. It's up on the channel right now, but I, I, I did this. Somebody asked me something about the Nicole Kimmick commercial, and I went on this rant about why is AMC showing me a commercial about AMC while I'm already sitting in an AMC theater? I'm already here, guys. You can go see that video. It's up on my YouTube channel. But that's the same thing. There's a place you have to go into where you had to show proof of vaccination to get into, which means if you're sitting in that movie theater, you've been vaccinated. Why show you an advertisement about the importance of getting vaccinated Clearly, you're already vaccinated. <laughs> There's no point. So uh, interesting to hear, Black Frost. Interesting to hear. Thanks for sharing that, dude. All right, Tanu writes, I really enjoyed Eternals. For me, it's a top 10 MCU. A second viewing might bump it higher. Being interested in history, mythology, and theology, the world building and the pacing was not an issue for me. Yeah, you know what? I That's one of the things. There are complaints I have about Eternals, and we'll, we'll go more into those in the spoiler discussion a little bit later. I do have my complaints about Eternals. I do. But the things that I appreciated about the movie outweighed my complaints about it. I'm somebody who's a sucker for really great expansion of world building and universe building. No single movie in the MCU has ever expanded their universe like Eternals does. And also, I'm a, you know, I'm an armchair theologian, so the fact that they get a little bit into creation mythology and all this kind of stuff, too, I find that fascinating, and I really appreciated that. So, you, Tanu, you just kind of touched on a couple things that really made me appreciate this as well. Again, I have my complaints about the movie, which is why it's not a top 10 for me, but I thoroughly enjoyed it because these things outweigh the bad, in my opinion. All right, Jack Lumbers writes, with Netflix's cancellation policy, it's not cost-effective to continue highly viewed shows because of no new subscribers, be any different if they had a partial ad model like Hulu, where you pay for access with ads or pay more without ads? Probably. You know, one of the things we've been talking about is the reason that something like, like people always asking, wait a minute, why did Netflix cancel that? This is one of the most popular shows. People are loving it because of this. Netflix doesn't care if people watch their stuff. They only care if people sign up for the service because of that content. See, that's different from the traditional television model, right? The more people that tune in and watch a show, the more money that show makes. Thus, the network wants to keep that show around for as long as possible. For something like Netflix, they don't care how many people watch a show. All they care about is, is this show generating new subscribers? And after about three seasons, Netflix's rationale is, and they're not wrong, is 
anybody who is going to sign up for Netflix just to watch this show has probably already signed up for it. So let's cancel Daredevil. Or let's cancel this other popular show. Because Netflix cancels show all the time. People always ask, that show was only two seasons in and it was great and people watched it. Why'd they cancel it? That's why. Because they don't care how many people watch it. They only they don't even care how good it is. They only care about does it generate new subscribers? Which is the total opposite metric of success from traditional cable networking shows. So if a show keeps getting an audience, that show will stay on. Hell, Supernatural stayed on for 15 seasons because people kept watching. And that's how they made money. That's not how Netflix makes money. Could it fundamentally change their... Could it theoretically change their fundamental uh, model if they had an ad-based thing? Maybe. But Netflix would also face a revolt of their customers if they introduced ads. And do they want an ad-based level when what they really want is the guaranteed monthly income that a subscriber gives you? No. So they wouldn't want to give people an option to not pay a subscription fee and just watch the show. So theoretically, would it change their paradigm? It actually would. It absolutely would change their paradigm. But are they ever going to do a pay-level model? I don't think so because where they make their money is from the subscribers. So that's my guess on that. Great question, Jack. All right, next up. Peter Cunnington writes, John, if you like the popcorn they sell at AMC theaters, apparently starting next year, they're going to sell it in shopping malls and supermarkets. And I think you can even have it delivered to your house. Yeah, I did see that. You look, a number of movie theaters to try to generate revenue during the, the, the darkest days of the pandemic were trying to sell their popcorn and concessions outside of the theater. Not a bad idea. I don't know how much money it actually generated, but it's not a bad idea. AMC just announced that they're going to start selling AMC popcorn. And I'll tell you this. AMC is my favorite movie theater chain. I complain about them a lot, but the bottom line is they are my favorite movie theater chain. And when I have a choice as to which movie theater to go to, I will always pick an AMC theater to go to. And when I go to AMC, I always get popcorn. But I'm not going to lie to you. AMC's popcorn is not the best popcorn in the movie business. When I would go to a landmark theater or a Regal, I, ended, I usually end up, especially when I used to go to Arclight, I really would prefer the popcorn of these other places. But at the end of the day, popcorn is a butter delivery device. So if I can't have that hot butter to pump onto the popcorn and just the popcorn itself, I don't know if I'd be interested. I have literally bought popcorn before. This has only happened like twice, but I've literally bought popcorn before, already paid for it, went to the butter dispenser to drench it in butter because popcorn is nothing but a butter delivery device, only to find out that they're out of butter right now. And it, it'll they were supposed to be already be refilled, but it's going to be refilled in about an hour. I have literally taken my popcorn and then dropped it in the garbage. Why? Because popcorn is a butter delivery device. And even on its own, AMC's popcorn isn't the best in the movie theater business. So I enjoy eating it when I'm at the movies, drenched in delicious pop butter. Uh, not very healthy, understandably, but... Um, so yeah, for all those reasons and more, Peter, not a bad idea from AMC, but it's not one I'm going to be taking advantage of. All right. Cause I don't go to the movies to eat their popcorn. I go to the movies and I like having popcorn when I'm at the movies. So that's a little bit of a difference for me. All right. Next up, we got dude Meister who writes, have you ever watched a movie with a group of friends and one of them had a panic attack or is severely triggered? If so, how did you handle it? For me, my friends and I were watching The Hate You Give. It caused one of them to have a panic attack, and we stopped. I have honestly never... I mean, I've had movies deeply emotionally impact the people and myself sometimes watching a movie. I've never had somebody where it did something like that. I can imagine a movie like The Hate You Give could definitely create a negative experience for somebody you know depending on what you know their personal background is. The Hate You Give obviously delves into subject matter that could very much trigger somebody. But I have myself never really... But again, that's just to get a testimony to the power of movies. And sometimes it'll touch on emotion, emotional nerves that maybe we don't want touched. 
I get that. But I, I myself, dude, Meister, I've never had that experience, but I'm not surprised to hear about yours. Thanks for sharing that, dude. That's a powerful, that's a powerful example. All right. Fanimator writes, when I book tickets for an opening night showing at the AMC Navy Pier IMAX Theater for Star Wars Episode Nine, I invited 15 friends to come. I want to do something similar for No Way Home, but that theater is now closed. Based on Chicago theaters, what is the best place to go now? Oh, dude, I have no idea. I have been in Chicago once in my life, and that was only for half a day. So I know nothing about the movie theater landscape in Chicago. What I will say, though, Fanimator, is that is a really cool thing to do. I know Ann and I just recently... um, when in, I think it was Shang-Chi's first week that was out, Ann and I booked a theater, a private theater at AMC Theaters in uh, in Orange County. And we booked a private uh, theater there in Anaheim, or right beside Anaheim. And we invited like 20 plus friends together. And we all had the movie theater ourselves. And it's one of the best experiences. I think what you're doing is great. And I'm sure any theater in the Chicago area will do great at hosting your, uh, your event, Fanimator. All right, Fanimator also writes, What do you think No Way Home makes opening weekend? Hard to say. I first thought it would make Infinity War numbers. No chance. However, I'm now guessing around 150 to 200 million. Either way, it will annihilate the pandemic box office record. When the tickets go on sale, I'm buying right away. It's so hard to say right now what we think it's actually going to make because we are still living in in the pandemic recovery era. Like there hasn't been one that's cracked a hundred million yet. Uh, there have been several big wins. Um, Fast Nine was a big win. Shang Chi was a big win. Black Widow was a big big win. Obviously, the biggest one was Venom. Venom was the biggest win because uh, that one made a little over ninety, I think. At any rate, Spider Man will be the first one to crack a hundred million. But I need to see the posters, which we haven't seen yet. And we need to see another trailer and really get a little bit closer to start feeling the buzz. Now, I already believe it'll be over 100 million, 150 million, maybe, maybe. But again, let's get a little bit closer before I start making guesses like that, Fannie Mae. But I will say I absolutely think it'll be the first to crack 100 million in the this post-pandemic era. I think it'll be the first one to crack 100 million. All right, next up, uh, Brooks Kirk writes, Hey, John, I've been hearing some buzz about the Snyderverse being continued after Discovery takes over Warner Brothers next year. Don't believe it. I'm not sure if this news has any merit to it. It doesn't. Uh, do you think there's a chance Zach could eventually continue this this story? Nope. Uh, even as Max Originals? No. But listen, a lot of... A lot of people define the Snyderverse as just the mainline DCEU. Like, some people think Wonder Woman is Snyderverse. And if you consider that, then yes, the DCEU story is continuing. Aquaman is, we got more Aquaman coming. We obviously have more Wonder Woman coming. Um, These things are happening. So if you consider that Snyderverse, then yes, that is continuing. Even though there's going to be other stuff as well, like Robert Pattinson's Batman. If you consider Snyderverse that Zack Snyder is going to come back, no. No, he's not coming back. I mean, look. We live in a world where absolutely anything is possible. Anything is possible. In a world where Jamie Foxx is coming back to play Electro, anything is possible. So this falls under that category of anything's possible. But is it likely? No, I I don't believe it's likely at all. I, I think it's very, very, very unlikely. I'm not saying there wouldn't be good things or bad things about it. I'm just saying, you're asking me, is that actually gonna happen? I would say no. But again, we live in a world where Jamie Foxx is playing Electro again, so anything can happen. Anything can happen. All right, next up. Um, Let's see here. Uh, Hot Rod Todd writes, Saw Eternals last night. I liked it. However, to me, it felt like it was more on pace with a series you'd watch on Netflix or Prime rather than a typical MCU formula, which isn't a bad thing, just different. Slower burn with unfamiliar characters bring on the filthy. Yeah, look, one of the things I and a lot of other people have said about Eternals was this does not feel like an MCU movie. It's not just that it's different because every MCU movie is different from the others, but they all at their core and in their DNA level, you can tell they're MCU movies. Eternals is not one of those. It's the first MCU movie to me that just doesn't feel like an MCU movie. 
And that is neither good nor bad. It's just what it is. It doesn't feel like an MCU movie. So it did feel like it was something else. But regardless, I still, the post-credit scenes definitely felt like MCU post-credit scenes, 100%. But the movies didn't for me, so it's interesting. All right, thanks for sharing your thoughts, Hot Rod. Next up, Your Name writes, you mentioned watching streaming shows, example, Mythic Quest, which I'm very excited that they've got two more seasons of that coming. Streaming don't have problem of local affiliates preempt shows. This fall, CW Affiliate preempts Thursday shows for high school football. Shows aired Sunday evening, now Thursday late night. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Like for a lot of traditional broadcast television, sometimes if your regular scheduled show is on a Wednesday, well, guess what? If there's a big game, they might show that and move your show. If the Academy Awards are being broadcast on that network, they might move your show. If there's world-shattering you know, news breaking, they might preempt your show and move it or something like that. That doesn't happen with streaming. That doesn't happen with streaming. I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing because sometimes certain things need to be preempted and should be preempted. But, but if you look at that as an, an, as a advantage, your name, then that's definitely an advantage. All right, next up, Diego writes, I saw Eternals last night and overall I enjoyed it. I can understand why some people wouldn't care for it, but at the same time, I don't believe it deserves the critic score it has. Can't wait to discuss the post credit scenes during the open spoiler Me Too. And listen, again, a lot of people still just fundamentally don't understand how Rotten Tomatoes works. Because Eternals has like, I don't know, the last I checked it was at like 50%. It might have, I said earlier in the week, I, I did a whole show on saying, hey, listen, Eternals could be the first... MCU movie that gets negatively reviewed, as in it drops below 50%. It may have done that already. But roughly, you're talking about half the critics, whether it's like 52%, 48%, 53%, 47%, whatever. You're talking about roughly half the critics. If he's like, critics don't like this movie. Well, no, time out. A lot of the critics didn't like the movie, but roughly half of them did. It's some critics didn't like the movie. It's not that the critics liked Eternals. It's that some of the critics like Eternals. And it's just that. But yeah, listen, I'm in the same boat as you. I really enjoyed this movie. But I, even when I came out the first time, like, I can understand why there are going to be people who won't. I do. Because I personally have my complaints about the film as well. And we'll talk more about that on the spoiler discussion. But yeah, I, overall, though, I thought it was a really good, new, different installment for the MCU. And I had a good time with it. All right, Scott Brown writes, you talk about Gladiator with Russell Crowe all the time, absolutely. But have you seen Gladiator 1992? It's a, oh, I talk about this movie a bunch uh, with Cuba Gooding Jr. and Brian Dennehy. It's one of my all-time favorite sports movies with great acting and fantastic boxing and a lot of heart. The late, great Brian Dennehy. Make them think you're weak when you're strong. I love that movie. Love that movie. Where the big boss bad guy, the guy's got to fight at the end, is, is Brian Dennehy, who does his little head duck trick, right? And I've seen other movies use that since. But yes, I really do like that movie a lot. I think it's really good. And I can't remember the name of the lead. Yeah, so it's got Brian Dennehy. He's the big bad guy. You got Cuba Gooding Jr., who is the friend of the main hero. But I keep forgetting. it. The actor never really went too far in his career afterwards, if I'm not mistaken. But I can't remember the name. But it's got this other lead kid who's really good in it. And uh, yeah, if you get a chance to sit down, if you want to see a... A fun little boxing movie, Gladiator from 1992. Make them think you're weak when you're strong. I, I actually like that movie a lot. I loved Brian Dennehy, man. I used to love him. All right. Your name writes. The Hollywood Reporter interviewed Barry uh, Sonefeld for the 30th anniversary of Adam's Family Values. He mentioned cast chose Christina Ricci uh, to air their grievances with cast with great cast, including uh, Julia Hudson and Lloyd. Uh, makes me wonder who wisely suggested her. Um, I haven't heard about that story. I don't know why. Maybe they just made her the sacrificial goat. I don't normally care about any drama or grievances on a set. I don't care about that TMZ bullshit. Look, the reality is this. Every single movie set has drama. They all do. When you have that many people with that much money on the line and that much tension and that tight of a schedule and that tight of a deadline, guy, uh, uh, deadline, and the pressure cooker environment is always on. You got a lot of egos and you got all this kind of stuff on there. There is always drama on a movie set. The only difference is some professional know some professionals know not to air their dirty laundry and others don't. All right. And there, I mean, there are some circumstances that require the airing of dirty laundry, depending, you know, on legal things. But I mean, 
every movie set has drama, so you know I'm not surprised to hear that there was also a little bit on Adam's family values. Not surprised to hear it. All right, next up, Ahmed Z writes, uh, one of two. Hey, John, I know you said last week you were disappointed with the first three episodes of Invasion. Made me gave up on the show, actually. But, oh my, just finished episode five, and I love this show so much. It's so good. One of the best shows I've seen in a while, maybe... Uh, ever, despite only being halfway through season one. I'm wondering what are the chances it gets a second season like Foundation, and will you give Invasion a second chance? Thanks and bring on the filthy. Well, listen, Ahmed, I'm thrilled that you're enjoying it. But no, I'm done with Invasion. I'm not telling other people they shouldn't watch it. I'm not calling for a boycott of Invasion. Boycott. One word that should never come from the mouths of film fans. Anyway, um... But I gave it three episodes. I gave them three hours of my time, and it wasn't able to to hook me in. Now, it did for some, and it didn't for me. That's fair. Nothing wrong with that. So I do not hate Invasion, but no, I won't be giving it another chance. What are the chances it gets a second season? I got to hear how it's performing, and I haven't heard any information on how the show is performing. But I do know one viewer who did try the first three episodes and then ditched, and that's me, and I already gave them three hours. If you need more than three hours to get me hooked on the show, then you're probably not going to get me. The only time, the only time in history for John Campia, for the John Campia history, that a show that to me blew the first three episodes, but I kept watching was Spartacus. And I only kept watching because my friend was in the show. Aaron Cummings, of course, played Spartacus's wife in the show. I only kept watching because of her, and I'm glad I did because it eventually became one of my top three all-time favorite shows. But that's one show out of 500. So, uh, no, I won't be watching Invasion anymore. I, But I'm glad you like it, man. Thumbs up for me if you like it. That's awesome. I'm glad you got your enjoyment out of it, dude. And I hope it gets a second season for you. All right. Uh, Kirian at the Movies writes, Hey, John, I just wanted to send in a tip to show my appreciation for everything you do. Oh, thank you so much, Kirian. It's all nice when somebody just wants to write in to be encouraging. Thank you, dude. I appreciate that. I recently started a movie review page on Instagram, largely inspired by your show. Keep doing you and the best movie-related show on YouTube. Love to everyone at the John Campus Show. Well, I love hearing that, Kirian, because I talk about on the show all the time that I think all film fans, just for fun and to deepen their roots in fandom, should start a blog, podcast, YouTube channel, Instagram accounts, another great idea, that as well. Because it gets it, it gets you more involved and engaged with the object of your fandom. I think it's just great. You, you don't do it to become a professional at it or anything. No, no, you do it because it gets you more involved with the object of your fandom. And it adds your voice to the conversation. And it may improve or be an addition to the movie fan community online for a few other people. So even if you only have like 15, 20, 50, maybe a hundred people listen to your podcast or read your blog or go to your Instagram account or watch your YouTube channel, that's like 10, 15, 50, a hundred people who you are adding to their film experience as well. So I think every film fan should do that. So I'm glad you're doing it, man. And thanks for sharing your experiences. All right, next up, we got uh, Dr. Rajkumar, who writes, Hey, John, I can't make sense that Fast 9 has a better Rotten Tomato score than Eternals. For me, dense films are always significantly better uh, when seen with subtitles at home, but come off boring in the theaters. Surely a particular aspect is turning off the critics' thoughts. No, there's no one aspect that is turning off critics. Critics are just movie viewers like everybody else. They just happen to watch a hell of a lot more movies than most people do. But that's the thing with the subjectivity of film. There are going to be movies that come out that get really low Rotten Tomato scores that I love. There are going to be movies that come out that have really high Rotten Tomato scores that I dislike. A great example of that right now is uh, The Harder They Fall. I think that's the name of it, right? Let me just double check that. It's the new Western starring Jonathan Majors. The Harder They... I think that's the name of it. Yeah, The Harder They Fall. Getting fantastic fantastic critic and audience ratings. Actually, let me, harder they fall, rotten tomatoes. Let me pull it up here. It's getting fantastic. 86% rotten tomatoes, critic rating, 93% audience rating. Huge stuff, right? But here's the subjectivity of film. Other than Thunder Force, I think the harder they fall is the worst film of the year. It's steaming garbage. 
It's an absolute piece of shit movie. I cannot understand how anybody likes it, but that is the subjectivity of film. Clearly, a lot of people do. A lot, hell of a lot of people do. But see, that's the subjectivity of film. And so, yeah, sometimes a movie that you think no has no business getting a higher rating than that movie, well, that's going to happen. It's going to happen. It has to happen. It would be defying the laws of nature and art if it didn't. Because the reality is this. While there are definitely times that a highly reviewed movie, audience and critically, like The Harder They Fall comes out that I think is total shit, or a low-reviewed movie, critic-wise and audience-wise, comes out that I think is great, the reality is the vast majority of time, I generally find that I agree with the majority. That also makes sense. But yeah, every once in a while, you're going to get one that comes in like an outlier, and that's the—that's just the nature of the subjectivity of film, dude. All right, next up, Charles Ty writes, one of four. Uh, where are we at here? Uh, first, you pronounce my name like T. Oh, okay, not Ty. Okay, T, uh, as in Mr. T, I pity the fools who weren't wowed by the Eternals. Thank you for sparking my love of cinema. Before the pandemic, I watched two films in cinemas a year. Since finding you, I now go three to four times a month. Dude, uh, first of all, we'll get on with the rest of your question. Can I say that is the highest possible co- compliment you can give me? I mean, I don't, I don't know that there's a compliment that I would take more to heart. Knowing that watching our show has made you go to the movies even more and and get into movies more. Couldn't possibly be a more precious compliment you could give. So thank you for that, Charles. It's, I, I take that to heart very much. Thank you for that. Anyway, uh, two of four. My expectations for Eternals were tempered by the mixed reviews from critics, but I have to say the critics are wrong. Well, again, which critics are wrong? The critics that really liked it or the critics that really didn't like it? The critics weren't right and the critics weren't wrong. Which critics are you talking about? Clearly, you're specifically talking about those critics that didn't like it. But anyway, I have to say that the critics are wrong. This is a visual feast. Great acting, especially Richard Madden. Great action, which I didn't expect from the trailers. Um, But oh my God, the twists and turns that happened very early in the film had me on edge. I had no idea how the story was going to play out or how it would all end up through the post-credits. I was totally blown away by Eternals. I still put Shang-Chi above this uh, for how... slickly that film does the mcu formula but i think eternals is wonderful and i hope it does well enough for feige to take on more cinematic risks not an oscar contender but i want more mcu films like this and yeah listen again and we're going to be going into our eternals open spoiler discussion a little bit later this afternoon richard madden was wonderful in this he was really good Gemma chan was wonderful in this i really liked her the dude who plays druig and the girl who plays uh, Makari. By the way, I don't know if you guys saw this, but on my Twitter, let me see if I can bring it up here. On my Twitter earlier today, um, I put up I put up this post on Twitter that says, I don't, uh, I don't like many couples in comic book movies. Tony and Pepper, Peter and Gwen are exceptions. But I think Druig and Makari are now my favorite favorite comic book movie couple. What is it the kiddies say? I ship them. Oh my God. It's not a lot of screen time that these two have together in Eternals. But every moment these two are on screen together just filled the room with charm. The way he would talk to her, her expressions, like her, her, like just that little note, those of you listening to the podcast version, you can't see what I'm doing, but just a little smile and half closing the eyes and tilting up. There is so much bloody charm in that dynamic, in that relationship. God, I love that relationship. I mean, listen, the the Icarus and Cersei one was, was very nice. The Gilgamesh and Thena one was beautiful. Yeah, but they, they were comic book movie relationships. I mean, they're, they're, they're very sweet, very nice, yes, but whatever. Druig and Makari. That, I think, I mean, maybe not more so than Tony and Pepper, but but maybe aside from Tony and Pepper, Druig and, and uh, Makari are now my favorite comic book movie couple. I just, 
I loved their chemistry on screen together. Absolutely loved it. And I can't wait to talk more about that on the open spoiler discussion later today. Anyway, Charles T, thank you so much for saying that in, man. I appreciate that. All right. Last couple of ones here for the day, guys. And then we're all finished up here. An anonymous viewer writes, what's up, John? I've been following you since the movie blog closet days. Thank you so much. I uh, love what you do, sir. Uh, I thought Eternals was much better than the critics have been saying. Again, which critics? <laughs> the ones that liked it or the ones that didn't like it? Anyway, I, and I plan on using all my AMC reservations this weekend to watch it again. Well, I'm glad you liked it that much. I have seen the film now four times. Four times? Premiere with Robert... Who'd I see it with the third time? Oh, that's right. A third time with my buddy Ryan and then a fourth time with Anne again. So yes, I've seen Eternals four times now. I do plan on watching it a fifth. I probably won't get to seven like I did for um, like I did for Shang-Chi, but I, I think I'll watch it at least one more time in theaters. Anyway, I'm glad you enjoyed it, Anonymous. All right, also an Anonymous viewer writes, John, here's a recommendation. Go to your Roku and down the Funimation app and for $5.99 per month or just or just this month, rather, you can watch Star Blazers 2199. This is a complete remake of the old show, 26 episodes. Try the first three at least. Well, I first of all, I love the original Star Blazers, also known as Space, also known as Space Battleship Yamato. Uh, I do, I love that show. And I can't wait for Hollywood to do a live-action version of it. I know there was a Japanese live-action version done of it. I didn't think they did a great job. I want to see a Hollywood big screen live-action adaptation of Star Blazers. Hell, you can even call it Space Battleship Yamato. If you want to North Americanize it, call it Space Battleship Midway. I don't care. But the story is so good. Uh, but do try to keep it Space Battleship Yamato. Anyway, uh, it's so good. But I'm probably not going to sign up for a service just so I can watch a couple of episodes or something. But I'll tell you what, dude. I will keep my eyes open for it. I will. All right, guys. That'll do it. For this installment of the companion video, listen, there are still more questions to come, but I think that got us caught up all the way through to the end of the questions that got sent in up to the end of the show on Friday. So there are more that have been sent in since then. So if you didn't hear your question read yet, don't worry about it. Keep an eye out for Monday. I'm sure we'll pick it up on then. Uh, don't forget, guys, a little bit later today, one more time, I want to remind you. Let me see if I can get the image up here on screen. I want to remind you again that in a few hours from now, if you're watching this video early, we are going to be doing our Eternals open spoiler discussion. That comes up at 4 p.m. today on Sunday, Pacific Standard Time. That's Los Angeles time. If you see this too late, don't worry about it. The replay of it will, of course, be up on the YouTube channel, so you can go watch it anytime. But if you can come join us live for it, do come and join us live. And of course, the John Campier Show returns tomorrow on Monday. We hope to see you guys there. All right, guys, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.